Hey everybody, thank you for choosing to gather with us through the podcast today. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors around Pine Hills Church. We are in a conversation called God with us. We're looking at just how Jesus embodies the different themes of Advent. So last week, we looked at how Jesus embodies hope. And then this week, we're looking at how Jesus embodies peace. And so let's look at a reading text for this week, Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I just want to ask you a couple of questions as we think about how Jesus can embody peace, because in our culture, sometimes peace can seem like it's something that's far off that we can never quite get there for some reason. And so I just want to ask you today, what are some of those current anxieties that you feel? Maybe those first things that come to mind even in this moment. And what do you do to deal with those anxieties? And if you are a follower of Jesus, how does Jesus bring about peace in the midst of your anxieties? Is it possible to live as a peaceful or non-anxious presence in an unpeaceful and anxious world? Answer some of those questions. Let's kind of unpack the conversation that we're having as we're looking at the Christmas story, as we're sitting in Advent, where we're looking back to all the things that Jesus brought as he comes to earth. And we also look forward to the day in which Jesus will return and fulfill all the promises that he has made. But let's get back to the conversation, jumping a little bit forward in the story, Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Remember last week, we focused on what Joseph might have been feeling when the woman that he was engaged to marry became pregnant with no chance of him actually being the father. There's tension there. And this week, let's focus on the anxieties that Mary must have been feeling. Mary had lived a life of devotion to God that was embodied through her waiting until marriage to give herself fully to any man. And she was waiting on marriage to become one with her husband because sex isn't as cheap as even our culture would like to think it is at times. But somehow, even remaining a virgin, embodying her life of faith before God in this way, trusting that someday God would bring about a spouse and that she would live in a covenant relationship with them, suddenly she finds herself pregnant, unmarried. How could this be? She's kind of reeling and trying to figure it out. And the person that she's 
pregnant with. She's pregnant with the savior of the world. And this is the person who would overthrow the evil forces of the world and establish the kingdom of God on earth. And Mary knew these stories and these promises. She had grown up hearing them. She had heard about them every Sabbath. She had heard all of these stories over conversations. It's something that she would have known very well. So imagine all of these promises. She has grown up. Her nation is very formed by this hope of a Messiah who would establish kingdom on earth. And now she gets to be the intimate part of the unfolding of the story. Imagine this angelic visitation is probably happened in the midst of just a very common day with all the usual routines and habits that Mary probably did every day until God broke into her ordinary and communicated through an angel a plan for her to be intimately involved in the unfolding of God's story of bringing redemption to the world. And I can't imagine all the thoughts and the feelings that must have been present in her. I'm sure there was a level of confusion. She must have been thinking, who am I? I'm just a girl from a small town. Who am I to be the one to physically birth the savior of the world? Then imagine all the thoughts that must have been swirling. It must have triggered fear. What will people think? What will people say about me? Will people even believe me? What will my fiance think? There's tension. There's anxiety. And Mary has some questions. Luke chapter 1, verses 34 through 37, it says, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. Then Mary replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say, she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Now, there's some truths present in this text that I don't want to miss. God can bring about life into a situation that has felt hopeless for a lifetime. Elizabeth, hoping that someday she would conceive and give birth to a child. This was a hope in her cultural moment that was really tied in with her identity, her purpose, and meaning. And to not be able to conceive and have a kid made her feel lesser than in her culture. And we have a bit of that still resonating in our culture. But in her culture, this was a really profound thing. It would have caused a lot of pain in her life as it still causes a ton of pain in our cultural moment when women are unable to conceive and give birth to a child when they want that for their life. And God is able to bring about life for Elizabeth, even in her old age. He's able to bring about the fulfillment of these things that she has hoped for for a long time. And not only that, God can bring about life in the womb of Mary without any outside help just by saying the word. And this imagery flashes back to the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, where the Spirit of God hovers over the chaos of the world. And he speaks... As he speaks, he creates life through his word. At his word, life becomes possible. And God's word will never fail. Luke chapter 1, verse 38, Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary's response, your will be done, God. 
Now contrast this with Zechariah from earlier in the chapter, whom we have studied before in our Whisper series. Zechariah has a visitation from the same angel that tells him that his wife will conceive a baby. And Zechariah is a high priest whose job is to serve in the temple, offering sacrifices and spaces within the temple that only certain people could access at certain times of the year. And you had to be cleaned up. You had to have no sin present in your life. You had to be holy to go into these places. And so I want you to think that this should be the one person who you would assume would trust the message of God when he hears it, but Zechariah doesn't. And in response to his disbelief, the messenger angel takes away his ability to speak until Elizabeth gives birth. And then we have Mary. Again, she's just been given a life-altering message with so many more dynamics around her situation. And Mary, a girl from a small town, no one's heard of, not married. All of a sudden, she's conceiving a child that would be the savior of the world. And Mary responds in faith. Even with all the swirling anxieties and the unknown, she chooses to believe. I just want to ask you a question. In the midst of the swirling chaos and anxieties in your own life, will you choose to believe that God can do something with them? Will your response be more like Zechariah? That even with performing all of your religious practices, that should lead you to believe the word of God when you hear the word of God. Do you choose to believe the word of God or do you choose to doubt and disbelief? Or do you act more like Mary? Even in the midst of a very ordinary moment when God breaks in, will you choose to believe at God at his word, that he will do what he says he's going to do? And so Mary responds in faith and she does what you would do if you hear a relative's pregnant and you didn't know that they're pregnant, you take a road trip. So Luke chapter one, verse 39 through 45 says, a few days later, Mary gathered all her snacks and she hit the road. She hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. And at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the word would do what you believe that the Lord would do what he said. You are blessed because you believed the Lord would do what he said. Now, I wonder if Zechariah was home and overheard this and had to live in the frustrations of being the one that did not believe the word of the Lord and being unable to speak, or if he had been off doing some work or had been out of the house. And when he gets home, he's greeted at the door with Elizabeth, who's telling him about Mary, who believed the word of the Lord, and all this stuff is going to happen in the back of his brain. He's thinking, but I didn't believe and I'm unable to speak. There's tension. And blessed are those who believe that the word of the Lord will never fail. Remember the writer John, 
who says the word of the Lord became flesh and made his home among us. And the word is Jesus. Blessed are those who trust in Jesus. Blessed are those who trust in Jesus who came and took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, who longs to do life with us, who longs to lead and guide us and to speak into our lives and to help us in the midst of anxieties, in the midst of difficulties to bring about peace. Blessed are those who believe that Jesus sees what we are going through and is working through all of the anxieties of our lives and hearts to bring about good things. Blessed are those who believe. Are you one who believes? And maybe you're new to the whole Jesus conversation. If you are, welcome to the conversation. We're so glad you are here. But just to be clear, because you might be asking, man, what is this about Jesus that's so profound and so beautiful? Well, Jesus... His deepest desire is to be connected with you in relationship. And he came to earth to take on flesh, to take on blood, to show us the way to live connected to God and to be empowered by the Spirit, to make a difference here, to help people connect with God as showing us our grand missional purposes for all of our lives. But not only that, he goes to a cross because the way that he lived was controversial and it cost him his life. But he was willing to go there because one, he wanted to take all of this stuff called sin, this stuff that kind of separates us from God. It's not the way that we should be living. It was never God's intention for our life. It's this rejection of God's authority, of us wanting to do life on our own, us wanting to define good and bad for ourselves. And that doesn't work. It actually brings more brokenness and death into the world. And Jesus wants to remedy this. And so he comes and he lives that life we can't live. And then he goes to the cross to make amends to pay the price for those things. And he dies and he gives his life. But he doesn't stay dead because three days later, he comes back to life, showing that he actually has the power to help us to overcome the things that entrap us. He has the power to help us with all the anxieties that keep us down. He has the power to help us to live into this new life where we get to find the freedom in Jesus and freedoms within the life of Jesus. And he offers us the ability to actually just follow him, to follow him, to discover life within the relationship with Jesus. And we get to come with all of our com complexities and all of our questions and maybe even all of our doubts. And Jesus doesn't say that we have to figure these things out. He actually helps us to, to smooth those out over time. Even if they aren't always answered, he's always answering them within relationship with him. And so you can come to him, even if your world feels chaotic and crazy. You can come to him, even if you don't feel like you're clean. He'll make you clean. You can come to him when all else feels dead and you can discover life. And all you have to do is believe and follow. And he teaches you along the way and he meets you right where you're at. And he begins to walk with you in this life to discover that there's peace on offer. And it's on offer through him, and he embodies a way of peace. And so the more that we are with Jesus and become like Jesus and begin to do the things that he would have us to do, the more we discover this peace that's on offer for our life. And if you make that choice and you want to enter 
a specific conversation around what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus, you can download our app, Pine Hills Church app on there. There's a tab. It looks, it says, if you're new to following the way of Jesus, there's a few conversations there. And there's another tab that's practicing the way of Jesus. And that will begin to walk you through what this looks like to actually practice the way of Jesus. And there's opportunities to connect back with us so that way we can set up times to meet with you, to have a conversation or to have coffee and continue to to be partnered with you in community and doing this together because you don't have to do it alone and you should never do it alone. We need community. And for those of us who do believe, do believe in the way of Jesus in every different season of life, there might be a new set of complexities or things to be anxious or worried about. And so... In the midst of your current anxieties, your difficulties of life, and your unmet expectations, what do you do with those? What do you do with those? 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11 offers us a little bit of advice. It says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And so just a full, few things that we can pull out. We can. It tells us to humble ourselves, to recognize that we're not God and we need God, to recognize that often we try to cope with our anxieties in ways that might not actually be helpful for our life, and we might not even understand our anxieties. So we need to humble ourselves in relationship with God because he cares for us and that he who's created all of life, probably knows a thing or two about how we should live in our life and how to navigate these things that do bring out anxieties and fears. And that there's a way of peace on offer, but it requires us to submit to his authority. And the next thing is to trust God with outcomes. I know for me, I struggle because I want things to go a certain way. And when things don't go that way, I start to feel like I'm getting more and more anxious. And I found that there's just so much peace in surrendering the outcomes to God. That I just get to come before God to humble myself before him, but then in prayer say, God, I want things to go this way. And I'm praying about these things, but I submit the outcomes to your hands and I trust in you. And no matter how things go, I'm with you and I believe in you. And you've done so much for me in my life by forgiving my sin and helping me to live into this completely new life that God, even if you don't do anything else for me, what you've done is enough. And then when I comes that day and I draw my last breath, God, whatever happens in the midst of all that, I trust that I get to be with you. And I trust that your story is not only powerful enough for my future, but it's powerful enough for today. And so I humble myself. I trust God with outcomes. And I cast all anxieties upon him. And that cast all your anxiety upon him is actually pretty interesting. And looking at that particular word, what does that look like in the Greek? It carries this meaning to put responsibility on or to make responsible for. 
essentially when when one Peter is telling us to cast all our anxiety on him for he cares about you is to essentially make God responsible for the outcomes of the anxiety. Make God responsible for whatever might come. Make God responsible for this thing in your life where you need God to come through because only he can come through and deliver upon because you're not powerful enough that you're unable to do that. And so with doing that, all of this is kind of wrapped up in that. In order to cast your anxiety upon God, in order to make God responsible, requires that you actually humble yourself under the power of God and you live in proper relationship where he's the good father and you're the child, which is the proper relationship we should be living out. When we do that, we find that there is freedom available. But oftentimes we don't want to do that because we want to hold control. And we don't want to release that to God. And so we need to learn how to do that, to humble ourselves, to trust God with the outcomes, to make God responsible for whatever may come. And then what is within our control is learning to live a self-controlled and alert life. Now, what does that look like to be self-controlled and alert? Well, it means to guard your life. Guard the things that you allow in your life to the best of your ability. Guard your thoughts. Oftentimes we believe lies over and over and over again, and we need to confront that with truth. And that requires the rewiring of our brain because oftentimes we default to the negative thought or we default to the lie. And so when we discover that lie, we need to confront it with truth. We need to guard our thought patterns and not let that stuff take root. We need to guard our emotions We need to realize that emotions are really good and helping us to understand things that are happening in ourselves. But you know what? Emotions aren't the end all be all because emotions can actually lead you in a way that you should not go. Emotions are good to kind of pause and invite God into that and begin to help let let God help you to understand yourself. But you need to be careful when you just let emotions take over your life completely. And so we want to live in that tension of we don't want to ignore emotions, but we also don't want to give emotions too much stock. And so we live in that tension and we do that with Jesus who's present and who cares about us. We need to guard our actions, the things that we choose to do, and we need to guard our reactions. And then we need to guard, we need to guard our habits and practices because the habits and practices are the things that will form and shape our lives. We're gonna either intentionally set up things within our daily rhythms to help us to become more and more like Jesus, or we'll we're passively put things in our life that will lead us away from the way of Jesus. And so if you're gonna live a self-controlled and alert life, you've gotta guard your life, guard your thoughts, guard your emotions, guard the actions and reactions, guard your habits and practices, and really guard what you fill your time with. Because oftentimes when we're under stress or we're going through things that we don't want to go through, we often abstain from things that we very much need, like community. Sometimes when we're going through a difficult thing, we don't want to be around other people. And so we abstain from community, which is actually the thing we might need most. And we end up filling our time with things that only make us further anxious and isolated because Satan stalks you like a lion looking to prey upon your anxieties and your feelings to drag you down and to separate you from community, which is a life force, which is why the Bible over and over and over says, do not neglect the 
gathering together. When, when God formed you in his image, God is in himself community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the Trinity. And it's hard to wrap our brains around, but one aspect of that is that God lives life in community. And if we're formed within the image of God, we're formed to be beings who live within community. And so to reject that is to reject the very image that we were created in. And so we need community. Community is a practice where we can weekly remind ourselves that we're not alone. Community is a place where we can be known and know other people. Community is a place where you can be around others whose faith might be a little stronger than what you're currently feeling at the moment. And when you get in community with people who have stronger faith, that's going to rub off on you. And this has been scientifically proven a bit. When you put two people in a room, like they kind of like they kind of sink to each other. And so when what this looks like is someone who has a lot of faith. When you put them around someone who, who doesn't have as much faith, so there's this community of people whose faith is big, and when you invite others into that whose faith might not quite be there, that's going to help them raise their level of faith. And not only that, but community is also the place where you get to help others and to be a blessing to others even in the midst of your own difficulties. Because you know what? It's a profound and beautiful thing when people get to see that God is working in the midst of your difficulty. The broken stuff of your life, when they begin to see Jesus shine through that, that's a profound and beautiful thing for people to see. And so they're not only a blessing to you when you have little faith to help encourage you and lift you up, but you're actually a blessing to them as well because you show them how faith works in the midst of difficulty because eventually they're going to go through a difficult time and they need to know that the gospel works even in difficult moments. And that's one corporate practice of what it looks like a gift that God has given us to help us to manage anxiety is the gift of community, to be around people who are going to lift you up, who are going to pray for you, who are going to help build your faith, who might even hold you up in a season when you're unable to hold yourself up. Community is a gift to help us to manage these things. This is how Jesus will bring about peace. But then there's also... It has to be coupled with the things that we do in our daily rhythms. And rhythms is you need to find this for our life because it's going to look different each and every day. But I want you to think about how you're actually spending your day. And when you feel triggered with anxiety, what's your next action that you actually take? Are you attempting to manage your anxiety, but often you aren't even aware of the things that you do to attempt to resolve it? Like just thinking when you feel anxiety come up next time it happens, I want you to stop. What am I anxious about? And what do I want to do right now in this moment to help cope with that anxiety? And does that actually help? Does it actually lead me more to become a non-anxious presence in my world? Does it lead me to become more like Jesus? Or is it a way of just numbing the pain and actually ignoring it and not addressing it? And awareness is a good start. And naming these things are a good start, but the next step is inviting God into the conversation with you. So acknowledging what you're feeling, inviting God into that, asking God, what do I do next? And allowing God through his power of his Holy Spirit to lead you. Invite him to lead you into what might be helpful to reduce anxiety and to become a sense of peace. And we want to, we want to, we want you to understand that 
and we're triggered when anxiety is going to happen. We don't live a life that's just completely free of anxiety. Like that's just never going to happen. But when we're triggered with anxiety, we need to use that as a cue to start to run to God and instead of oftentimes a lot of other stuff that we do. And this takes practice over time. It's a rewiring of our brain because we have begun to cope with anxiety in ways that we're not even aware at times, or maybe we picked up from things earlier in life. And so it just takes practice to begin to unwind some of this stuff and to relearn how to have better practices and habits that help us with these things. Remember, the goal is to humble ourselves, to trust God with outcomes, to cast all anxiety upon God or make God responsible for, and then live that self-controlled and alert life, remembering that we need to live a rhythm of life, guarding what we allow in, what we don't allow in, but we also need to guard what we fill our time up with, how we're addressing all of our needs, not only our spiritual needs, our emotional our physical, our relational, all these things matter. We're embodied human beings. And so oftentimes when we get the rhythm right, that really helps us to navigate the anxiety a lot better. Uh, but here's also a few practices that you can start including in, in some of your week. Uh, or maybe it's a daily thing. Maybe it's just when you're feeling yourself a little bit more overly anxious. And so it'll be a mix of those things but grab out what you think sticks out to you because it's a list. I'm sure there's some things here that could be helpful. There's probably some that aren't helpful. And there's probably a lot of stuff that's not on the list that could be helpful. And so it's an ongoing conversation that we need to have in our community about how to navigate this together. But our hope is that we want to normalize the conversation. We want to encourage people to have the conversations within community and in partnership with God as God leads and guides as we do life together. And so some of the practices that when you're feeling anxious, you can start just by deep breathing, which sounds so, so common, like, okay, breathe, like breathe. Yeah. One of the best ones for me is deep is, is box breathing. And so you breathe in for four seconds, you hold it for four seconds, you breathe out for four seconds, you hold that for four seconds. And you just repeat in, hold, out, hold. And what it does is it, it just resets your brain. It kind of just brings that anxiety further and further down to help you to kind of reset and to, to go, you know, to connect with God and to get back to your day. Prayer, every time you feel anxious, you should use that as a cue to invite God in through prayer, but also your other prayer rhythms that show up when you're not feeling anxious of maybe practicing the daily office where you practice prayer in the morning, midday, and then the evening, and then maybe right before you go to bed. And maybe just that rhythm of reconnecting yourself just for a few minutes in prayer with God helps you to help manage that anxiety through your day. Sometimes it's turning on music. Sometimes it's worship music that helps you put your mind on God. And that can be helpful for me, especially when I'm working on a, a lot of projects that's really hard and I can be anxious about that. Sometimes it's turning on ambient music or music without words. And that just helps kind of calm me or soothe me. Journaling is a great practice of being able to journal out, to name all of your feelings, to get it all out of your head and to get it on paper and then invite God into prayer in the midst of that or prayer journal your way through that. And you'll see some pretty profound things as God brings out insights, but helps you to also to connect with ways of coping with those different things. Uh, gratitude, just practicing constantly naming a few things each day that you're actually grateful for. 
can be super helpful. Practicing communities we've talked about. Part of community is accessing counseling, therapists, accessing help through doctors who might actually uh, prescribe medications if you have very high levels of anxiety, because sometimes we need to bring those down so that way you, you can bring the other tools around and you can kind of build those things in and maybe someday try titrate off of those things. And maybe that's just part of your journey of having to have that on board in order for you to navigate that because some of us have been through some pretty difficult traumas in our life. And so we're all in different places and there's no judgment around any of that. We just want to normal that, normalize that accessing a lot of this is accessing our community and the different gifts that God has given us in order to help us with these different things. Exercise and prayer walks, like sometimes that can help you to to manage all these things, have an outlet to just get the tension of the anxiety out of your body. And, and that really matters. Silence and solitude, learning to be comfortable with the silence of giving up control, of having to fill your head with other thoughts or other things, just learning to embrace the quiet moment and to being by yourself. And there might be certain seasons where you're so anxious that that is not the best practice for you, but you need to be around other people. And you need to fill your mind up with the promises of God or the, the things of scripture. Or you need to meditate on the word of God. Or you need to practice your scripture reading, get more scripture in your day. Or maybe it's Sabbath, learning to rest, to turn work off, to begin to rest. And you just need to start somewhere with that. Maybe it's just an afternoon taking a few hours to rest and you build up to where you have a 24-hour period. And again, these are just practices that you can begin to put into your weekly rhythm. And so I just want you to think about like, how are you spending your day? Not only your work and your family rhythms, but how are you managing these different things where you get to invite God in? Where do you where do you have that space to connect with God? And how are you connecting with God throughout your day? How are you addressing your emotional life? What do you need to help get on board and to have a rhythm that's helpful for that? Your physical rhythms, do you need to include some more exercise or some more walks? Um, your relational life, do you need to set time to be around people who help lift you up and have a coffee set up each week to be around those type of people to encourage you and to guide you or a mentor in your life? Like, where are you at in any of these areas? And I just want you to invite God into the conversation. How am I spending my days? How am I spending my weeks? Is it helping me to become the person that, that I want to become and I need to become? And maybe God's going to highlight what that thing might be for you. Maybe it's being involved in a community group. Maybe it's practicing the silence and solitude. Maybe it's the Sabbath. Maybe it's finding a therapist. Maybe it's reading books that help expand your ideas of who God is. Maybe it's studying the scriptures more. Maybe it could be all these different things, but find the thing that the Holy Spirit's illuminating to you. Invite God into that conversation. And then be in conversation with other mentors and leaders who can help you or even a spiritual direction. Reach out through pinehillschurch.org. If you need some spiritual direction, we would love to partner with you in that and discovering what this looks like to practice the way because this is going to look different for each and every one of us. So it's impossible to have a one-size-fits-all solution. which doesn't exist. But I want to do. I want to leave you with a question: What is the most pressing thing that you need to make God responsible for today? When we had this conversation, if Jesus comes and He embodies peace, and there's actually a way of peace that's on offer, not just for the select few, but actually to the masses, peace is on offer through Jesus in relationship with Jesus. 
Not that anxiety is going to completely vanish or be gone, but in the midst of our anxieties, Jesus teaches us how to cope with those things and how to reduce those things. And part of it is that that humbling yourself, trusting God, but casting all anxiety, making God responsible for what is that big thing right now that's on your heart and your mind that you need to give to God and you need to ask for God's help with. And so I just want to pray for you as we wrap up our time. God, thank you so much for everyone who's listened through this conversation and wants to continue to engage this conversation because it's going to be an ongoing one. Would you continue to lead and guide us in this? Show us how we're spending our day and show us where we need to include a a new rhythm in this season. Maybe there's a a different focus in this season where we need to focus more on our physical life, where we need to focus on our emotional life or our spiritual life, or relational life. Maybe we need to have a focus there and build into how we're specifically going to address that particular area through a given practice that will help us to become the people that you're wanting us to become, which is people who are able to love really well and to be non-anxious presences in a very anxious world. And so the only way to, to do that is to be in partnership with you, being with you, becoming like you and doing what you would have us to do. I just thank you for all that you're doing in our life, showing us the way that you will lead and you will guide us into all truth, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, that you're with us even to the end of the age. Thank you for these truths. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for engaging with us in the podcast. If you need anything, reach out through pinehillschurch.org. Hope to see you in the next episode. Have a great day. Bye.